Um, who's the world champion, guys? Alrighty, hey everyone, welcome to Dojo Talks. Today we're doing our final recap of the recently concluded V-Day World Championship match between Ding Loren and Jan Nepomnishi. Uh, as we now know, Ding Loren won um, after a uh, playoff tiebreak, or whether he won, we'll get into it, we'll get into it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be relatively shorter show uh, today, because I mean, there's just been so much coverage of this match, but there's still some uh, interesting questions in, uh, in our mind. Um, I'll just say I found the match very, very exciting to follow, and uh, I got up early to watch the tiebreak live. I woke up after game one, which was like 5 a.m. for me, which is very early, and it really took a lot of willpower, but I did it, streamed the last couple games. It was very exciting. It was awesome to see the, uh, the final moments. Felt like it was a historic thing, and... Yeah, but full I, story, Kostya. Full story. Afterwards, you told me that you regretted getting up so early. Well, in hindsight, I wish I had just woken up for game four, which would have started around <laughs> okay. like 7 a.m. And So all Kostya wants to see are decisive games. If, if a game's a draw, he's like, skip, skip. No, not if it's... No, the first few games were relatively exciting, but they weren't like must-watch chess television exactly. I could have seen them later. It would have been fine. Um, I don't know. Maybe if it was like really back and forth, I would have felt felt different. But I'm very glad to have right. seen the final game, of course, because that was uh, I mean that was just history in the in the. I mean it was hard to watch, but it was also just like just fantastic sport. It was excellent sports. What made it hard to watch for you? Oh, just in the last few moments, you could see the uh, frustration of Nepo and just like total. Mm -hmm psychological collapse as he it was such a classic moment in chess where the stronger side is like ready to acquiesce to a draw then all of a sudden the weaker side decides that they want to play on in this case ding ding's position wasn't really worse he was up a pawn but he was kind of defending for a while and yeah you could see like the panic on nepo's face like he wasn't expecting to the game to keep going and uh and and yeah and then he ended up making like you know several mistakes and, and losing the game um, and then getting, you know, getting super upset, very understandably. So a thrilling moment for sports, but for you personally, a little bit of anguish for the person losing, like a little hard to watch that pain. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, that was that was definitely hard, hard to watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it always is when, you know, someone loses just a hugely important game. I mean, sometimes you drink up their pain. It depends. It depends on the person watching. Some some people, you know, maybe they take <laughs> pleasure uh, in seeing people's pain. I I generally do not. Um, mm -hmm. But okay, especially for Nepo, I don't think he's like a, a bad guy. So a villain yeah, or anything. There, yeah. yeah, there's no reason to. Yeah, there's no reason to to enjoy that. Of course. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think yeah, a lot of people. Well, a lot of people were rooting for Ding because they were specifically heartbroken from for him earlier. Then I yeah. think after that game, I think a lot of people were like, ah, oh, now they wanted to root for Nepo too. <laughs> Right. It's like, what, you want everybody to win? You pick the wrong sport, or actually any sport, right? Uh, yeah, chess famously has very few uh, draws. <laughs> well, I mean, examples of everybody winning. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think one thing actually, just in that final talk about the final moment that where chess becomes more interesting is, you know, they have the camera, they have so many cameras there. And then there was this great moment that, you know, is on various shorts on the internet now where they zoom in on Nepo's hand and dude is trembling. It's really like, it could have been like a movie scene, you know, they you know the death match and then the dude loses control. And then the final moment, oh no, the underdog wins. And yeah, he's trembling in a really interesting way. In terms of like hard to watch, I don't know. I, I wasn't drinking it in. I am a I am a vampire that that way, anyways. But it was definitely like psychologically compelling to watch that. It's like, oh yeah, that's and we've all been there, but we've all we're living through Nepo because right, we've never been on that high of a stage, but of course we've lost control in various games, and it just that feeling of like, F God, I'm gonna kill myself, you know. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that is true. And one of the great things about chess is that like the really high, the really important and intense emotional moments can be shared by people at any level, yeah. right? Like it's true that none of us know the pressure of sitting down to play the world championship match, but we all know the feeling of like, I'm going to kill myself, right? Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a chess player, you know that feeling, right? So yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it's awesome how you know, people who've been playing for, for two months can can get into that moment too. Yeah, it was a super popular match. A lot of people um, very much got into it. And yeah. uh, okay, and I think that kind of brings us to our, our first real real question here. Um, who's the world champion, guys? It's like kind of ding. It's kind of ding. <laughs> like it's, it's like uh, kind of ding for lack of anyone really clearly being world champion. Um, and I know we've talked in the past, so I don't think we need to belabor it about how, you know, potential asterisk around Magnus not participating. But at the same time, the point of the world championship is that you don't just inherit it. And if the guy won't play, like, what are you supposed to do? Right. Um, so we, we've talked over that a bit, but I, I'm going to add my part already even though it's sort of crossing two of our topics but the match was tied the classical world championship match was tied in classical games right they won and lost the same number of games so there was a rapid match that was played afterwards as a tiebreaker but to me a rapid match in a classical world championship is illegitimate right it's like the american president they may technically have racked up some votes in some machine that they fudged, uh, but the process makes the whole thing illegitimate. I don't have a president, and I don't really have a world champion as long as there are rapid tiebreak matches, right? To me, it's kind of like a tie between Ding and Nepo. You could call them co-world champions. You could say Ding is kind of world champion. It's uh, it's just not not clear for me. That's so funny. Yeah, I was going to say it's like, it's like asking who's president in, in January 2021 in the U.S. Exactly. <laughs> um, but hold on, David. Uh, last time or a couple episodes ago, you were very adamant about respecting what the players want. The players yeah. agreed to this match and this format. So why not? Why not respect that? I mean, I, I, I respect them to like play the match the way they, they want to. I don't know that they came up with this rapid tiebreaker. That may be something that was imposed on them from tradition, so to speak, or from FIDE, right? Because it's been the format for several 
for several cycles now, right? And neither of them, we don't know if they objected or not, right? Like when you say respect that they agreed to it, I mean, they may have just sort of like accepted it, not thinking that they had any bargaining position. Just if you're ding, you're happy to even be involved in a match that you never qualified for, so to speak, right? <laughs> just like maybe like coast, right? Like if I'm at some party that I didn't get invited to, I'm not going to start telling them what music to play. Um, so, you know, whereas Magnus obviously feels entitled to try to say how the, how the world championship should be run as like, you know, he's got that, like, I'm the champion, I'm involved in this process. I'm part of the, the lineage and everything, but they may have just like rolled with what was there. So we don't know if they approve of, of the situation, but anyway, if they did, and in theory, if they were like, oh, yeah, we want there to be a rapid tiebreak. We don't want to play extra classical games or more than 14 games or whatever. We love we love to do this. Then I would say, cool, like that's their preference. It's still for me would leave it unresolved. Which of them was the better classical chess player? I still wouldn't know the answer, Kostya, right? Which to me is like the interest and the point. So so I would I would let them run the thing the way they want to. I wouldn't insult them about it, but I wouldn't know who was champion. And then, okay, it brings up some questions about, um, yeah, the previous matches. So do you also consider, like, Karyakin and Karawana yes. to be, like, co-champions? Yeah, I think Magnus, Magnus failed to beat them pretty, yeah. Right. And this, pretty by dismally. the way, for people just listening to this, we had one of the most terrible, ridiculous things David ever said was saying Philidor was the greatest player of all time. But part of that rationale... Okay, was the fact that Magnus didn't Philidor drew no matches, drew, drew no, no matches. matches, never they didn't, have, they didn't have no draws back then. But in any case, um, but but right, it's an interesting point. And we're saying, like, if you really want to go hardcore, like David's doing, right, it then brings up what we consider world champion, and then it's this bizarre historical fact, bizarre in my mind, like statistically improbable that we would have three world championship matches. And they would all end with the classical being tied, right? That's the last three matches, Karyakin, Fabi, and now this one. Very improbable to me, but that's where we're at with it. Yeah. Um, also, and I just want to mention something that I just want to stress. Um, I don't feel this way, but many people out there do feel that there's also an asterisk by Ding, uh, Ding's championship in the sense that his qualification to the candidates was weird and suspicious because it very much seemed like the Chinese players bumped up his rating so that he would qualify by rating. So there's a lot of people out there who also have an issue there. I don't have that specific issue. I also wanna say, I do not have the issue with the tie breaks. For example, if I play in a tournament and there's some weird tie break system that I can't understand because I'm a boomer and I can't do all the Buchholz math and I never do, and someone wins on tiebreak, fine, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I accept that. That's part of the deal, right? So there are tiebreaks, and I get it. And I do think, uh, even though I'm against it, like I'm with David, I'm against it. And and the whole thing, you know, that's so disappointing with Magnus is he's so soft. You know, he's so soft talking about how he's too tired, and they, you know, because back in the day, my friends, they would really play it out. It would really box it out until somebody was literally dead. We've talked about that on the show before. Um, the tradition of death in world championship matches due to exhaustion. Yeah. Are you going to take back calling him the greatest of all time? 
Well, no, but he is definitely hurting his legacy in a very soft. Didn't win his matches. Just wants to play rapid chess. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about Magnus coming up, but the Magnus's softness is why why we're in this weird predicament now. Thank you, Magnus. Thank you, buddy. So for me, you know, before the match, I was definitely one of the people saying that this is like not a real world championship match, like a FIDE, FIDE world championship match, and Magnus mm-hmm. is still the champ. But, you know, actually, I've I've changed a bit on this. You know, I, I would say Ding, Ding is the world champion now, and uh, if people want to call him the 17th world champion um, next in line after Magnus, that's fine to me. Um, because Magnus... That's fine to me, or you're one of those people? Uh, for me, I think it's yeah we should do that yeah yeah put his picture up on the walls like after All magnus right. you know it sounded like you were pulling your own tooth there costia but okay <laughs> being as the 17th world champion to costia yeah well, so this because... is going to be a real problem david because eventually we're going to have to do you know a list of world a dojo approved list of world champions which gets controversial in a variety of historical places and right. then we're going to have to vote we're going to have to vote on it and uh We'll Those vote two out of three. <laughs> well, actually, just side. saying that Ding is the 17th world champion is not just, let's say, controversial because of Magnus. It's also controversial because of, like, Topalov and all the numbers all the that went before. In the, yeah. <laughs> in the FIDE cycle. But in particular, Topalov, because, you know, he was, like, number one player. He won that uh, San Luis tournament. I mean, he, he did quite a lot. Um, Here's what we can call him, Kostya. And Jesse, thank you for reminding me about this with the Chinese tournament. We could call him the 17 asterisk world champion because uh-huh. he's got so many asterisks on the event. Like Carlson <laughs> didn't participate, didn't win the match in regulation. Like it was a tied match, didn't qualify by rating, played a tournament against all Chinese people to qualify, didn't qualify in the candidates match, <laughs> candidates tournament. It's a lot. But what I wanted to say is that the thing for me that's very pressing now is that Magnus doesn't seem to be calling himself the world champion or having that kind of claim. Uh, so if Magnus himself is just like, let's say, willingly giving up the title, you know, and he's not even he's not making any like kind of world champion claims, then I think, all right, it, you know, it should be given to Ding. Um, I think like because that's the difference for me between Magnus and Kasparov. Kasparov split off. But he was still calling himself the world champion. He was still doing his own matches. He was still trying to find the best challenger. You know, he was still trying to, let's say, like respect the traditional lineage. And so if Magnus mm-hmm. just wants to back out of the whole thing, then actually, yeah, I have no issues calling Ding the world champion, calling Magnus the number one player in the world, saying like Magnus could be world champion if, let's say, he wanted to participate in the cycle. I think that's a fine opinion to have. Um, but yeah. Uh, we so mentioned this before in history, like it's not always the strongest player who's the world champion. There have been some um, some guys who just got in there because they managed to, you know, win a match or two at the right time and weren't necessarily the most deserving. Um, but that's how it goes. That's chess history. So, Kostya, you're sort of looking for um, Magnus to anoint the next world champion, even if he didn't participate, to give some kind of a like in to give the presidential exam comparison again to give like a concession speech like 
once Magnus calls Dingley Ren world champion, then you would say that sort of ratified it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, either you lose to the guy or let's say you you, you back down, you step down. Like Fisher didn't exactly anoint Karpov, but he kind of did with his actions. Right. right. The closest comparable might be Lasker anointing Capablanca before their match and insisting that he was just a challenger and that Capablanca was already world champion. Okay, oh, let me just... Mm-hmm. back up and say one of the things about this that's changed since we originally discussed Carlson abdicating is Carlson when he abdicated had a narrative that he was going to reach 2900 rating so it was like my goal in life is no longer this world championship things that's for chumps and instead I'm going to turn into the greatest player of all time based on rating and that's it well what happened? He couldn't do it. And I called it back there. I said there was a really slim chance the dude was going to be able to do it. And in fact, he couldn't do it, had some losses. And now, now he's wearing like dark glasses playing in poker tournaments. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's gone soft. That was a hard goal. And it was like he needed this other narrative. Um, didn't work out. So now it's true that we're in a slightly different spot. If we have a dude who's striving after some goal and proving something, then it is it is definitely a different narrative. Now that doesn't change it for me. Why? Because it's just so obvious that neither of these guys, Ding or Nepo, are on Carlson's level. So how can I call somebody world champion? Like it would have been back in the day, some chumps in Europe playing a world championship when Morphe's around. Forget about it, you know? So <clears throat> I get it, though. I get what you're saying, Kosian. For practical purposes, there's going to be another cycle. Will Magnus play in the cycle to qualify? Hard to say. Hard to say. He might play in the cycle, win it, and then just be like, no, I'm not interested. You know? I'm not interested in it. <laughs> like, the tournament looked fun, but not the match. Yeah, yeah I don't want to into the match. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kosia, I just wanted to bring your attention to one little thing on the sort of question of, you know, Carlson anointing him. I sent you a link to Carlson's Twitter page. Mm-hmm. Um, on his Twitter page, two things to note there. Number one, his bio a week later says world chess champion. Number two, he has this self-pinning for immortality thing. He says, congrats, ding. But he doesn't say congrats to the new world champion, right? Because like uh-huh. this is the moment. This is the game and the moment where ding wins the world championship. He's kind of saying, like, nice move, right? He's saying, like, congrats, Rook G6 was a nice move. He's not saying, like, congrats, you're my you're my successor. Yeah, you know, actually, that's interesting. I thought he did change his bio. Mm. Um, well, you can check the link. Yeah, no, I I, I just looked at it. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, still it's says still, World Chess Champion. That's it, right. It still says World Chess Champion. It does still yeah. uh, say that. Huh, well, then, which, I, which I prefer to the big guy. Which... <laughs> 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 It could reflect, Kostya, the fact that he thinks that Rapid Chess is the real chess, right? And he's currently the World Blitz and Rapid Champion. He won both of those. So in that sense, he is a world champion of chess in a certain format. True. But it's still... Eh. Uh, true. It could also... I mean, he could also just be calling himself like a like a world champion. Like Kasparov is also a world champion. Kramnik's a world champion. Anand's right. a world champion. Yeah. So... So, uh, yeah, I don't know. To me, based on, like, his words, like, he did this recent, like, podcast, it seemed like he was 
giving up the title. And I don't know. To me, it did seem like he was passing it off to Dan. Yeah. But um, like I mentioned last time, I think ultimately history <laughs> will kind of decide for us how Ding is viewed and how you know the next person um, after Ding is is viewed as well. Um, and Which who is reasonable. Takes over. Yeah, the number one spot. From, hindsight uh, tends to be more accurate than foresight. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so clearly that answers that. Uh, let's <laughs> go to the next <laughs> topic. Well, um, let's talk about Carlson then just for a second, because there's a couple okay. things in this interview that I want to bring up that pertain sure. to the world championship question. As he's whining in this interview, and there's two whines that I think need to be addressed. I think they are psychological in nature, but we can discuss them on their merits too. Okay, so the one wine is that it takes too much work to do openings for matches like this. The second wine is about classical chess being dead. And my take on this is, first of all, in terms of classical chess, Carlson understands that as you get older, this is what Karpov really showed, as you get older, you can play rapid chess really well because your intuition is good but the system two thinking that you really need to drill down in a classical chess game it gets harder as you get older it's harder to sustain that and he understands that on an intuitive level and realizes it's not going to last as long as it could do for his blitz and rapid skills right so my take is like this whole thing against classical chess which i think we should discuss on its merits too is a bluff number two I think this th thing he's saying about openings is BS. And, and my main thing about this that I want to say is there's a really interesting thing about grandmasters complaining about openings. Let me put it in historical context. When you read 100 years ago, Modern Ideas in Chess by Reddy, he recounts a deep discussion he has with Capablanca, and they're both complaining that chess is dead because opening theory is too far advanced. This is in the 1930s. Okay, obviously, <laughs> obviously they were wrong. Fisher then, whining to no end. This was also part of him having an excuse to not play. Oh, opening theory is too far advanced. Obviously, 1970s, 1980s, not true. Simply not true. And when Carlson's whining, it's like, what are you talking about? As we saw in the games, like Ding could play any move and get an interesting game out of the game didn't it didn't have to be dependent on opening theory and carlson really when he was at his prime maybe he still is but he was very good at just creating positions to play kind of like ding was doing right so from from my sensibilities the game is wide open and the opening question is again another bluff for him to be like oh i just want to play some rapid and blitz okay so I understand, and I, and I do I do want to say like this thing where me calling him soft, I'm sure there's a weight on the dude, right? There's a weight, especially like Norway and all this stuff, people calling him the goat. He gets to hang out with Messi and these other dudes, shake their hands and be like, here's one goat to another. And he doesn't want that pressure anymore. It's hard, dude. You got to be actually working. You can't be like drinking and streaming blitz and going to poker tournaments. No, you got to be working, dog. That's a lot of weight. So I think that's my take on it. It's a, we can talk about the merits of each of the openings and the classical chest, but I think it's a psychological thing. And before I hand it over, I'll just say, if anything, the match 
showed how amazing classical chess still is. People don't watch blitz games and rapid games like they were watching this match. The tension, the tension. Oh, man, it was fantastic. In a blitz game, if someone loses, it doesn't matter. There's going to be another one coming right up. Oh, there's a lot, of, a lot at stake here. Fantastic here for the fans, too, not just for the chess estates, you know, for the fans as well. And now they, they can watch it with the engine. And I don't think, you know, everybody knows I'm against the engine, but that's for chess improvement. For fans, I'm learning to understand it's fine. You know, they get to see, have a sense of what's happening in the match. Yeah. Um, well, it definitely was very intense to follow. Um, it kind of makes sense what you're saying about Magnus, but, you know, I also very much sympathize with him. Um, you know, you get one life. He's already accomplished, I mean, pretty much anything, right, anyone can dream to accomplish in classical chess. How about winning a match against Karyakin? Ooh, damn. Damn, he's, he's not going to let it go, man. He's not going to let it go. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he wants to enjoy his life. I mean, while he, uh, while he still can. He's like in his early 30s. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, yeah, to keep up the grind. I, I definitely get it. Um, I mean, I absolutely think he could still, you know, continue to be number one in classical um, for as long as he wishes. But no, I, I get it. It's just like you just don't want to do it forever. Um, oh, man. Time and Nodibrak will come for anyone eventually. He's not he can't be like the best for as long as he wants, but he could put in a few more years. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, no, I think he could. um I don't know. I think he'd stay at the top for a while. He's very fit. I mean, he's like the perfect specimen to do it. He's very fit. He like mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, like he like analyzes things himself, right? Like doesn't use engines that much. Like <laughs> he's, uh, but I mean, yeah. yeah, he's got other interests, you know? He's got other interests. Yeah. It, I mean, if you look, life. if you compare him, if you compare him to Gary at this age, it seems clear that Gary had a little bit more fire in his belly still at this age, right? Like, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, Gary was like on a mission to like prove himself like till the last day, you know, um, you know, he was like, can I win 10 tournaments in a row? Can I get 100 points ahead of the number two rated player in the like he was just like not like nothing satisfied him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Someone says something. And he's like, all right, that's another two more years at the top for that comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gary was amazing, man. Oh man, I was looking at some of his games today and it was just like, oh man. Yeah. He was coming for you, boss. It's going to come for you, dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wa he wanted everyone to be so scared of him that they were preparing their resignation when they saw the pairing. Like that like he wanted absolute domination. And you know, maybe Carlson will be happier for for kicking back. He seems happy, you know. And I respect his his right and his choices to do that, but I mean, it's going to cost you on the list of the greatest of all time, right? For your legacy. Like if you were like, ah, I thought I would like chill out, hang out with some friends, you know, play some poker games, play some blitz. Cool. But then you're number five of all time, you know? Uh, yeah. I'll tell you, it's not looking we'll good. It's not helping. Mike. <laughs> it's not helping, buddy. I, I do like that he's doing new stuff, especially like, all right, he's trying new events. He's doing this fantasy chess thing now. 
chess yeah. desperately needs like a good fantasy chess thing and i was hoping someone would do it it's a little sad that it has to be magnus that does yeah, it. yeah. Wait, do i have to do everything <laughs> um but i think that's that's a cool project and i feel like he will continue to try and dominate and at least blitz and rapid it's not clear how much classical he's going to play just according to him but in in blitz and rapid it seems like he's still going to try and and win and um yeah, I mean, he's definitely seems like he's been steering the world in that direction of wanting to take rapid chess um, more seriously, at least as an alternative format, um, which which to me is is logical. Also, Magnus in the past said something about playing 960 with a classical time format, and then yeah. the traditional chess in in blitz and rapid, which to me honestly makes a lot of sense. Because um, you absolutely do need that time for chess 960 in uh, in classical. Yeah. To um, me, it's really interesting. Jesse seems to have gotten like a second degree in psychotherapy just for Magnus, and he's yeah, yeah. like deep into this like really unobvious theory about everything Magnus says is a manifestation of this facet <laughs> of his soul that he won't face, and like he's making an excuse six years in advance for some uh -huh. tournament where he's gonna win and wrap it and say he's still the best and blah blah. But um. I would take what Magnus said, the two comments you brought up, Jesse, I would take them at, at face value and as being the honest opinions of the greatest the greatest player of all time. You know, like as far as just the quality of his play is understanding of the game, right? He's playing chess at the highest rating, highest level ever. For him, too much of, of the opening is is eaten up and too much of his time is eaten up by preparing those openings and I mean, obviously, you guys know I think there's an obvious solution in playing classical Fisher Random for top players, you know, and whether you cut that line at 2,400 feet A or 2,600 feet A or 2,200 feet A or whatever, whenever people are like kind of like, okay, we're sick of memorizing openings and we want some more room for our creativity. But wherever you cut it, I think the top echelons should be playing Fisher Random at classical time controls. You'll get a surge in, you know, decisive results. The games will be more interesting. There will be more mistakes. Uh, they'll need more resources and more effort because they'll be playing 20 more moves for themselves every game. Um, I think it's like a simple answer, and I'm always shocked that it's not being implemented. But but as far as what he says, like I, I, I believe him, and I tend to agree with him. The opening thing, it kind of sucks. And yes, Jesse, you can sort of get a game by just playing some random move, right? Like Ding played the Collie system or whatever. You know, I, was, I love that dude. He got Nepo played that opening so badly; it was foul. I was, I was vomiting. Like, oh my, oh my oh, god! Oh no, 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 no! Hold on. The H three thing was truly weird, and I just want to admit, ding! I don't understand the H three. Yeah, H three was bad, but, but I'm just talking about the collie for a second. But, but but it was a very interesting move order because what ended up happening was he realized this was very clever. He's like, oh, I'm probably gonna get a Carlsbad structure, and mm -hmm. I've been crushing this dude in the Carlsbad structure, and yeah. holy moly, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. E three yeah. poison. But that that <laughs> opening was so badly played. I'm sorry, so badly played. And it shows that these players don't have much experience playing the opening in chess. Like you put them on their own. It's like Nepo played like three bad moves and then had the advantage with black at like move 12 or 13. So like, what the heck was Ding doing either, right? Uh -huh. Um, But what I wanna say is 
yes, you can play some random like A3 or H there's something and like get a game sort of earlier on. But to do it, you only get to play a certain kind of chess, right? Which is structural, Carlsbad this, IQP that. Like you don't get to play precise Gary chess. Like that's completely ruled out. You don't get to play like Gary where you play moves like E4 and D4 and every move you play the most principled move and you try and put pressure on your opponent because every single one of those moves has been analyzed by the computer. So even if they're great moves, the opponent, that's the one line that for sure that they've run the space bar and they know the force draw eventually. Okay, let me just say, all right, that when you look back on the mistake that Reddy and Capablanca made, and there was the same mistake by Fisher, the reason it seems like the openings are played out is because everyone around you is doing the same thing. But what if you look at it through the historical lens, you've got to be like, boss, obviously Kappa and Reddy were wrong. Obviously Fisher was wrong. And it just seems like we're all doing the same thing because openings trend and those openings that trend seem like they're the objectively best and you have to go down that road. And then it turns out it's not true. And further the computers, oh dude, the computers are showing us some dark things that we never understood before. And then when you try to follow the computer, well, your mind might not be ready to follow the computer. I think the great example for that in this match was the same-ish variation with Rook A2 that Ding pulled out and was like some spicy sauce that the computer had analyzed, but still you're going to get some position and it's really going to be hard to understand for the human. So I think what happens with the openings is the computer can show you some crazy things, but for the human mind to understand what the computer's doing, it's like it's an interesting task. It's <laughs> an interesting task. You might not actually get it. Like that yes. A3, Rook A2 stuff, that was some heavy sauce that I don't think the human mind is ready for. Chess is super, is super like basically limitless. You can always find some more special sauce, but I think you're you're discounting rather than respecting the champs a little bit too much because these people Yes, there are exceptions. Yes, more juice was found in the game, but they're also speaking to a a truth. Like what they're saying is also partly true at the same time. Like yet, uh, like Capablanca was bored of playing the Carlsbad structure with Alyekin like 30 times in a row, right? Well, guess what? Pe- there are still people out there who's bored of playing the Carlsbad structure every game, right? Uh-huh. Like Queen's Gambit declined Orthodox. Queen's Gambit declined Orthodox. Queen's Gambit declined Orthodox. Draw, uh-huh. draw, draw. Every now and then, Somebody comes up with some cool thing. I know there's still room to mine, but a lot of the mine is empty at the same time. So like both can be partly true, no? I think, let me just say with the openings, is that I feel more optimistic about the openings question than I did say when I was a kid. Before the computer, it really seemed like there were these objective variations and like Kasparov was playing D4, C4, Knight F3, and it was like this thing that everybody followed. And it was very impressive. But now, one of the, and and also it really seemed like white had a more significant advantage than the computers are showing us. Basically, the computers are showing us that it's just equal, right? Or close to equal. The, The advantage is actually kind of minuscule, which I think opens up a whole variety of, of things. It means like as white, maybe you shouldn't be thinking that you're playing for some epic advantage. Maybe you're just playing to get a position. Fine, I think it makes the game more interesting right? Get a position you understand. That's what Ding did. He was going for the positions he understood. Fantastic. 
So I think the openings are wide open, absolutely wide open, more so even than before. What I'm hearing with these examples of like Reddy, Capablanca, and then Fisher, and now Magnus is that men would rather change the format of the game than go to therapy about like, <laughs> feeling stuck with their with their uh, with their yeah. chess because that's that's very interesting yeah no clearly there's i mean there's tons of decisive games um i thought it was very interesting what magnus was saying about people trying to um force draws against him i remember kasparov said something very similar he said he had to quit playing the king's indian because everyone would play the bayonet attack against him and try to force a draw um out of the opening so yeah there is that added pressure when you're the champ it's like no one wants to uh no one wants to kind of fight you on equal terms. So I can get why that would be frustrating to always be the number one seed in every tournament you play. The weight, my friend, it's a weight. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the game's fault. It's you have a weight on you, Magnus. It's not the <laughs> game's fault, buddy. Um, okay. We've, uh, we jumped around a lot. Um, so let's address the one last final question on getting out of here. Is there going to be a Chinese chess boom? Yeah, real quick. Yeah. Chinese chess boom. Yes. I think there's going to be a minor boom, but I think it's kind of like this. If you imagine in the States, us winning like the World Cup, it's not going to happen. Okay. But I'm just saying it's hypothetical. Okay. Sure. Uh, would we change what we watch for sports? No. What World Cup? Soccer World Cup? <laughs> There's I think he's talking World about Cup. soccer. There's only one World Cup, Kostya. See, he doesn't even know. That's There's a chess the World Cup too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There's I was only trying only to prove World your Cup. point. So, point. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't change. America wouldn't change. It might become a little bit more popular, okay? But it's not fundamentally going to change. So I think there will be something happening in China. But like when David and I went there, 2008, like we got a real sense, I did anyway, of the grip that Go has on that country. And that's a cool thing, and I respect it. So I think there'll be something happening in China, but just nothing nothing epic, like a Fisher and boom. China has both world champions now. Has that, uh, yeah. has that happened before, by the way? No. It's kind of crazy. First time, I mean, we haven't, I know we haven't had like women's world champions for, for that long, so there's not a ton of time, but. Um, there was a lot of time in the Soviet Union, you had both champions. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, okay. Georgia was Soviet Union. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so back then, so Kasparov. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so you guys saying, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I hope so. I hope so. I'd be surprised, but I hope so. <laughs> yeah. It's just, Dave be cool. isn't, he's not the most, like, charismatic, you know? <laughs> it's, like, it's hard to... It's hard to imagine him like really being like this huge like ambassador and really like pushing for chess and cutting ribbons and big scissors and all that kind of thing. But hopefully, hopefully. But he's he's plenty lovable. Yeah, he's great. It, yeah, yeah. The other thing about Ding, let's just I want to just mention this. I'm not sure he's going to keep playing. This is a weird thing like to even say, but he was talking about if he lost the match, he was going to retire. And there's been a couple of like also. Uh, uh, Wang Hao retired in a kind of early stage too, and it was kind of that was that was like stunning to me as well. But in any case, I'm just trying to say I'm not sure 
how much energy the, the dude has. And, and definitely, like I said before in the other podcast, his weakness is he's psychologically frail. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, it could be that he, he also advocates. I don't, we're going to answer That's an ongoing question. Like, he, let me just stress, like, he was not playing before this whole thing went down, right? He was years in pandemic, just not really playing at all. So I think that's another question mark on the horizon. This whole next, the whole next cycle, actually, I think is going to be really interesting with the Indian kids and Nordbeck and all these guys. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And there's going to be real chaos then at the end. Yeah, and actually, we'll see Ding. Uh, he He's playing. He and both Nepo and him are playing the uh, the Bucharest Superbet uh, classical mm -hmm. tournament that starts tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, but Magnus isn't right. Magnus only wants to play the rapid events on the Grand Chess Tour this year. That's that's what it seems like. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you know the games from the people who actually want to play. Hopefully, there are some people who are <laughs> who are still hungry for classical chess. Yeah. Same. Um, okay, folks, that's gonna do it. Thanks for listening. Hey, I learned something. Apparently, you can rate podcasts on Spotify. There's little thing where you can see and you can mm. give us you know a rating maybe five mm. stars five stars would be good um, what's what's our current rating 4.7 heard of this 4.7 1.7 4.7 4.7 no no 1.7 yeah so we need some help folks <laughs> we need some help we need some uh, some more some more ratings please help us raise our rating thank you we think podcasts mostly get rated by the people who actually like them enough to, you know, spend the effort of going and clicking. And so you'd think that they would trend pretty high. You would um, think, yeah, yeah. but I, I didn't think anything less than 4.8 sounds pretty sad, honestly, from your own fans. Yeah. Oh, oh. 